Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Porter Gals presents Terrifying Tales. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're... The Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Christmas Ghost Story. Written by Nick DiMarantino. Published in 2022 by Northwest Corner Books. The House on Maynard Street. The Dream. It's not the first time. She remembers the red roses on one side, the white on the other. It isn't the last time either. She isn't afraid yet. How old is she? Five, maybe. She looks up at the house towering over her. The walls are made of red bricks. Even the porch is made of bricks. The porch is big enough to play on there and there are windows. A narrow strip of flower garden wraps nicely around it. She runs down to the end of the walkway to the flowers. The snapdragons are in bloom, purple and blue and yellow. The blossoms look like faces. She wants to pinch them to make them snap like Nana taught her, but she doesn't. Once a bee was inside when she pinched it and the bee was mad and it scared her. She was with her father. She can't remember who else. Her real mother isn't there anymore, so it must be her stepmother, Barbara, who was prettier than mom, and younger and more fun. Dad knocks and then opens the front door. Grandma and Grandpa are already inside, Uncle Tony too. Everyone is standing up and being happy and hugging everyone else as they come in the door. She should go inside too, but she doesn't want to leave the flowers. She's loitering, undecided, then realizes she isn't alone. An old woman in a knitted pink sweater has come out on the porch. Her hair is coiled in a tight gray bun. She's still wearing her cooking apron, wiping her hands on a dish towel. She's taken time out of her busy cooking to come out on the porch and find her granddaughter. She's watching her play in the garden, her eyes bright, smiling, so full of love. It's Nana. She sees her. That's what she was waiting for. She begins to run slowly toward her great-grandmother. Nana bends down to her level and opens up her arms to embrace her. How's my big girl, she says. How's my Gina? Happy palace. Gina opened up her eyes, and Nana was gone. A pink neon castle, suspended on a neon rainbow 20 feet in the air, spilled its electric glow through the motel window. The hiss and roar of morning traffic beat at the window like surf. Gina Rossi was 22 now, a recent graduate of Notre Dame. Instead of being at Nana's house, 
she was looking up at the pink ceiling of room 11 and the Happy Palace Motel on Aurora Avenue. She had come back. She had spent most of her childhood in Seattle-Tacoma area and thought of it as home, the home to which she was returning. She stretched her long legs, pulling out the covers at the bottom of the motel bed. She was five foot nine and proud of every inch, lanky, strong, and healthy. Her black Italian curls were thick and shaggy. Her dark brown eyes blinked awake now, long lashes guarding the depths. Though raised in rainy Northwest and returning from four years in Indiana, her olive skin gave her the look of a purple tail suntan. Aaron was still asleep beside her, the blankets falling off his bare shoulders, his face buried in his pillow, snoring softly. He was an Easterner, paler, new to the West Coast, exhausted from seven days of determined apartment hunting. Together, they were looking for a place to live for the next four years while he attended medical school. He was two inches taller than Gina, with short black hair, black eyes, and a hawk nose. With stubble on a classic jaw, his good looks had gotten him into trouble in all his life. His brains had gotten him out. He was awake now, shifting and stretching. Rolling over on his side, he cuddled up next to her. Good morning, gorgeous, as he kissed her. She returned the kiss, her thoughts elsewhere. I just had that dream again. Seattle seems to be good for dreaming. He snuggled up next to her. You've been having that dream every night. He nuzzled by her neck gently. Maybe I can help you forget it. You district. It was mid-afternoon before they were actually in the car heading toward the University of Washington. Banking down the blue-gray exit under the bright blue-gray sky, they came to an abrupt halt in the stop-and-go, mostly on Northeast 45th, sandwiched between a family van and a bus. They were crawling, stoplight by stoplight, toward the crowded street ahead, the colorful human jungle called the Avenue. He had been watching her face for some time, and he finally just said, Why don't you call them? Call who? She had been staring out the windshield, not at the river of students, punks, homeless, and elderly, bumping and jostling across the street in front of her. At something that was hurting her, something she wasn't telling him. Call them and get it over with. Aaron Steiner came from a large Jewish family in New Jersey, so he could understand the emotional chaos she was going through, even if he didn't know all the details. Family. He could love his family so much better when he was far enough away from them. There was nothing wrong with family, of course. With luck, and Aaron always had luck, his family would pay for his entire medical schooling maybe even set him up in the family practice. They were always getting involved in things that were none of their business, which is why the West Coast was a good idea. His parents could pay for tuition and books, food, and rent, and didn't have to know he was living with a pretty, hot, blonde Catholic girl. Ever since he had collided with Gina Rossi in his biochem class, she had come to mean more to him than anyone else in the world. 
He started dating her two years ago in the spring of their sophomore year, a few months before she flew home to Tacoma for the summer. They wrote back and forth. They phoned each other every day. Something was happening between them. Gina's mother had remarried a Boeing engineer with a 10-year-old daughter of his own. One Sunday afternoon, the three of them drove off to the mall and never got there. They were suddenly snatched out of Gina's life forever, left behind on the side of the freeway in a crumpled fist of steel. She had phoned him that day, incoherent with crying. He managed to postpone a summer quarter exam, dipped into the next few months' allowance for airfare, and caught the first flight to Seattle. She was waiting for him at Sea-Tents Airport. She fell apart in his arms. It was a turning point. They returned to Notre Dame together after the funerals and had been together ever since. Aaron liked Seattle like the University of Washington. He applied to medical school and got accepted. Gina came with him, back to the first city she ever thought of home. Now all they needed was some place that was clean, cheap, and close to campus. A place to recover each day from medical school. A place to endure the struggle for four years until he had become Dr. Strainer. And they made the final commitment to each other. Don't you think it's time you gave your family a call? She flinched. What in the world brought that up? It's been seven days, said Aaron. My family would go through the ceiling if they found out I'd been in town for a whole week and not called them. How is my family going to find out I'm in town? Families always find out, he said. It's what families do. Why don't you want them to know you're in Seattle? I don't want them to know, insisted Gina. Just not yet. I don't understand what you're waiting for. Was she ashamed of introducing him to her father? Were Catholic parents as uptight as Jewish? Maybe I'll call him tonight, she said. I might. It has to be the perfect time, Aaron. Trust me, I want things to be just exactly right when I call them. You know how important this is to me. Whatever you say. He reached across the seat and closed his hand over hers. It's your family. It's your decision. Wrong exit. She circled around through the university district after dropping him off. Traffic had not improved. She glanced uneasily at her watch. She had a job interview at 4 o'clock with Green World Landscaping. They were looking for an experienced arborist, but were willing to consider her. She tried to compose her thoughts, to remember her good points, to concentrate on how she would present herself. Instead, her attention kept wandering. She couldn't stop puzzling over her dream. She had been having it every night since she had come back to Seattle. Another stoplight. She stared through the windshield. She barely noticed the teenagers with candy-colored hair, the activists with petition boards, the homeless with bedrolls and crumpled belongings. Out of the corner of her eye, just before the light changed, she noticed an old woman in a long black overcoat, her head wrapped in a red kerchief, clutching a small black purse, waiting at the end of a bus stop. The old woman looked exactly like Nina, 
With a gasp, Gina turned back for another look. A bus wheezed up to the curb, erasing the old woman from sight. An impatient horn blared behind her. The light had changed. Gina's foot came down heavily on the gas pedal. Her car lurched forward. She strained for one last sight of the old woman in the rearview mirror. She was so intent on spotting her that she wasn't thinking about the freeway. Before she realized what she was doing, she had gone too far west, missed the northbound entrance altogether, and was crossing over the freeway in the left turn lane, banking southbound. Too late to change lanes, there was only one direction. She took it. The strange thing she realized afterward was that she never tried to correct her error. She didn't take the first exit off the freeway. She didn't turn around and head north to Green World Landscaping. She forgot about her interview altogether. She simply continued driving south. Woman in the alley. He'd never seen her before, and she had seemed to be lost. A stranger in the neighborhood. A young woman with unruly black hair, staring rudely out her car window at the back of his house. Excuse me, she had called out toward the garden. Do you live here? Charlie Wu brushed off his knees and resigned himself to a pause in his weeding. His garden would have to wait. He had a guest, whether he wanted one or not. Can you help me? He laid down his towel. Americans asked the most amazing questions. How could he possibly know that? Perhaps he could help her. Perhaps not. What was the proper way to answer such a question? He smiled and nodded. The troubled young woman hadn't waited for him. Her car door was open. She was carefully walking toward him through his orderly green rows of vegetables she probably didn't recognize. He sincerely hoped she wouldn't take long. Time was his most precious possession. August had already slipped through his fingers. All too soon, it would be wet and cold outdoors. Being trapped inside that house all day with his unhappy wife and her complaining mother was like being sealed in a coffin. That house. If anyone would take that bad luck curse off his hands. It was already almost September. The real estate agent had assured him that it would be sold by now. He absolutely refused to spend one more Christmas in that place. He refused. Even if he had to move out for the night and spend Christmas Eve in a motel room. Straightening his back, he rose stiffly to his feet. A weathered hat protected him from the harsh rays of the late August sun. The wide straw brim hid most of his face. Black sunglasses concealed his eyes. What features were visible revealed no age. His body was lost in a bulky old sweatshirt and baggy grass-stained pants. Are you looking for some place, he asked. No, she said. Not anymore. She smiled. Charlie Wu was puzzled over this. How exactly did this confusing young woman want him to help her? Then he noticed that her eyes were wet. You see, I used to play here.
Can you believe it? Here, in this yard, an overpass, that garden bed. There used to be swings on the other side of that hedge. Her glistening eyes saw a house and a yard from her childhood gardens and fences that were no longer there. You came here before? Long ago, she said, when I was just a little kid. Well, little kids don't come here now, he said. They stay away. Many years, this house owned by a crazy old lady. She gets too crazy to live here. Little kids play in the yard. They say crazy lady yells at them. She scares them away with the broom. She's dead now, I think. Yes, she's dead, she said. That crazy old lady was my great-grandmother. Charlie Wu gasped. He was horrified by his own indiscreet remarks. I am very ashamed to speak of your departed great-grandmother with such disrespect. Please forgive me. That's okay, she smiled. She was a little crazy there at the end. Nothing you say can hurt her now. House for sale, he mentioned hopefully. He immediately regretted it. Another indiscretion. The mysterious young woman looked at him oddly. Then she shielded her eyes from the sun with her hand and stared up at the house as though listening to something he couldn't hear. Charlie Wu wondered if she already suspected something was wrong with that house. Very wrong. How often had he watched cousins or in-laws newly arrive from the mainland, storm downstairs in the middle of the night, and move into motels? He told her nothing. He knew enough English to make himself understood, but what he could say, that the house was haunted? Such things were not spoken of in America. How could he confess that the house he brought him and his family nothing but frustration, alarm, and occasionally terror for three years. He had scarcely slept for the last three nights. His nerves were shot. Once again, it was starting to get worse. If it was bad now, at the end of August, think how it would be closer to Christmas. It always got worse at Christmas. He could feel the house leaning over him now. He tried to concentrate on the uprooting weeds. He waited for her to leave. She didn't leave. The house is no longer for sale, she said. I'm buying it. Mantra. Aaron was hot and sweaty, getting off the bus on Aurora Avenue. He was dripping wet by the time he had walked the two remaining blocks to the Happy Palace, his backpack bulging with heavy, expensive new textbooks. With the clattering of the plastic motel key, he elbowed his way through the doorway, juggling three white boxes of Chinese takeout. He was about to announce, Your Highness is served. Instead, he simply stopped in the doorway. Gina was pacing back and forth, talking to herself excitedly, as though she had gone completely crazy. She had kicked off her shoes. Her hair was windblown. Her cheeks flushed. Newspapers were scattered all over the floor from their daily apartment hunting. There, she was in the middle of them, pacing from one wall of the motel to the other, 
repeating, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. He cleared his throat. She looked up and screamed, Aaron! He just managed to set down the box of Chinese food before she was in his arms. Good job interview, he guessed. She didn't hear him. She was shouting out her news in such excitement, in such confusion, that all he comprehended was his own name. Periodically, an address repeated like the chanting of a mantra. 1716 South Maynard Street. Is it really that great? He squeezed in edgewise as he slung his heavy backpack to the floor. It's the best, she said. The very best. You've checked it out. Is it available? Better. It's ours. He stared at her. Ours? You made a down payment? Aaron, it's a house. It's our house. I found it. I found our house. A house? Are you sure we can even afford a house? Her cheeks were flush. It's the house in my dream. You've rented it without me even seeing it. Oh my God, you're right, she said. You're absolutely right. You have to see it right now. She slipped into her shoes, grabbed the keys off the motel bed. Let's go. Hey, slow down, he cried, chasing after her. Are we celebrating? Was the interview a success? She gasped. Green World, I totally forgot about it. You forgot about your job interview? She was headed out the door. What about dinner? He gestured toward the greasy cartons, which he had transported by bus all the way from the campus. I've got all your favorites. Barbecue pork, deluxe chow mein, almond fried chicken. She didn't hear any of it. Facing the landlady. So now, tell me again, why exactly are you in love with this place? He looked up at the house, an old brick house in a tired, declining neighborhood. Unwielding, troublesome, drafty, probably cost a fortune to heat in the winter, and much too far from campus. This was the house of your dreams. You don't love it? She sounded genuinely surprised. You don't think it's the perfect place to start a new life? Come on, admit it. You love it. Don't tease me. Not love, he said. He smiled reassuring, trying to be a good sport. But possibly like? A very qualified like. He squinted up at the unfriendly brick walls. The current owner was nowhere in sight though Aaron noticed a curtain move in the kitchen window. So break the news to me. How much do we pay a month for this dump? Dump? She scowled at him. Nothing, Aaron. No rent to pay. No rent? He looked at her quizzically. Who's letting us stay here for free? She looked up at the house. Not free. Your share will be 300 a month. Utilities included the amount you agreed to pay for an apartment. My share? What do you mean, my share? Do I assume your share is the same? I don't have a share. 
This house will be mine. I'm buying it. Aaron took a step backward. I can't be hearing right. You're buying a house. His smile crumpled. He was no longer being witty. She shrugged her shoulders at a loss to explain. That was for sale. And there I was. And this has to be a joke. He didn't find funny. I thought you were looking for a place to rent. Just long enough for me to finish. I know, I know, said Gina, throwing her arms around his neck, kissing him impatiently to silence him. But that was before I knew. He pulled away from her lips enough to say, knew what? Knew that we could have Nana's house. I don't understand a word you're saying. My great-grandmother lived here, Aaron. This is not just any house. I know this house. This is where Grandpa grew up, a major landmark of my childhood. It was always a part of our family, the place where everybody went at Christmas. I dearly loved this old house. Then, when it was sold, when she died, and it was just a part of my past, until lately, when for no reason, I started dreaming about this house, over and over, the same dream. Then I accidentally get on the freeway, going the wrong way, and before I knew it, I end up here in real life, and it's for sale. I mean, what am I supposed to think? He looked at her, blankly. What do you think? I think I've upset you, haven't I? She hugged him. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bug you. Gina, I'm going to be honest with you. He pulled away enough to look in her eye. She had the look that Aaron recognized, but couldn't quite place. You're going a little fast for me. You've got to slow down. Just when I'm getting comfortable with you, feeling like I know you, you casually make a major life decision without even consulting me. You just happen to buy our future home on the spur of the moment. Our agreement was to rent a place until I graduate. I never agreed to buy a house. You aren't buying the house, she said quietly. I am. It'll take most of my mother's insurance money. I'm absolutely certain it's the right decision. In that instance, Aaron realized where he had seen that look in her eyes. First thing in the morning, after one of her dreams, she put her hands on her hips. From now on, Mr. Stanner, you will consider me as your landlady. You'll be expected to pay your rent on the first of the month without fail. No pets, no loud music, no parties, no girls. No girls? Well, maybe one girl, but only one. She had kissed him. For special tenants, the landlady grants certain favors. Favors? She kissed him. Lots of favors. His resistance collapsed. I surrender all tenant rights, he mumbled in her ear. When can I move in? Be sure to follow us on Facebook or on YouTube at 
ThePortraGals or on Instagram at the underscore PortraGals. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast or at RogueMediaNetwork.com. You've been listening to The PortraGals, a Rogue Media Network podcast. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. <laughs>